1: has already earned glowing reviews. Publishers Weekly says, seldom has a novel managed to better dramatize the particular pressures that make up the life of a professional musician, from the physical pain of contorting limbs over a long period of time, to the emotional stress of constantly making adjustments to the changing temperaments of partners. Celeste Ng called it a powerful debut that offers a sensitive portrait of four young musicians forging their paths through life. Asia Gable's writing has appeared in BOM, The Kenyan Review, Glimmer Train, and elsewhere. A former cellist, she earned her BA at Wesleyan University, her MFA at the University of Virginia, and has a PhD in Literature and Creative Writing from the University of Houston. Asia has been the recipient of fellowships from the Suwannee Writers Conference, Literary Arts Oregon, and the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, where she was a Fellow in Fiction. She currently lives in Los Angeles. Maggie Shipstead is the New York Times bestselling author of the novels Astonish Me and Seeing Arrangements, which won the International Dylan Thomas Prize and the LA Times Book Prize for First Fiction. She's a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, a former Wallace Stegner Fellow at Stanford, and a two-time National Magazine Award finalist for fiction. Short stories, travel writing, essays, and criticism have appeared in many places, including the New York Times, The Washington Post, The Guardian, Connie Nast Traveler, Travel and Leisure, and The Best American Short Stories. We are thrilled to be hosting them this evening. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Asia Gable and Maggie Shipstall. Hello.
2: Thank you for coming. Um, You could be doing any number of things, and you're at a bookstore, which is so cool. Um, And thanks to Skylight for hosting me, they're really cool, come back.
1: <laughs>
2: um, I'm gonna read just a short passage from the early part of the book. And basically, what you need to know is um, two of the characters in the quartet um, have a like ideal platonic relationship, um, a man and a woman, Jana and Henry. And they have started, um, have always slept in the same bed together after they perform unromantically, um, which David told me earlier is not possible. But (laughs) 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 it, it, I think that um, because when you're in a quartet, you start to, you have to know each other's bodies so intimately and well that stuff like that becomes very common and easy to do, and it's um, almost somewhere, something like um, um, a sibling, best friend relationship that they have um, with each other, but um, about five years after they go pro, um, they start to have outside relationships, or <clears throat> Henry does. Henry, in fact, has is going to have a baby, so um, with someone else, and um, So that's a source of tension between the two of them. So that's what this passage is about. One way to say it was, when they moved to New York, Jana and Henry cut back on overnights because she lived on the east side and he lived on the west side. And she hated the crosstown buses and also walking across the park alone, especially with her violin. And there were so many people in their lives, so many people in New York City, that time alone became sacred and rare. Another way to say it was, they were older, had grown up and out of it, no longer needed the physical rampancy and secret comfort of each other's bodies in bed after a blood-flushing concert or a brutal prickly rehearsal. Another way to say it was, the practice had marched right up to the edge of being inappropriate and enough was enough. they never had sex, not even close. There'd been nothing sexually charged about their relationship. Nothing really romantic, either, unless you counted that feeling of mutual recognition when someone wraps her body around yours and you both go unconscious. And one more way to say it was, the context changed. They were no longer scrappy and trying to make it in San Francisco. Now they were emerging, as the Juilliard intern who wrote their bios liked to put it, though Henry wondered how long you could be emerging until you were simply standing in a doorway of an empty room, emerged yet unnoticed. At Juilliard, they were treated as professionals, serious adults with serious endeavors, and their habit of co-sleeping suddenly seemed a childish leftover from a past and lesser life. They had taken a little while to figure this out. The last time Jana had come to Henry's, it was a night early in, De- in early December, right as the season was- season was beginning to slip into winter. The two of them, having grown up in the wet but generous winters of California, usually felt giddy and quaint, huddled under the the layers of thin blankets. Still charming was the way the street lamps flooded bronze light through the windows, even with all the lights off, casting an anemic pallor on their cold cheeks. Still eccentric was the incessant, incessant honking and yelping, the churn of lives always in progress just outside the apartment walls. But that night they'd fought, a fight that... In their pajamas in bed in the middle of the city felt like a point from which they would not turn back that evening they'd gone with brit and daniel or the other two members of the quartet to a performance of the guarneri quartet at at carnegie hall they'd had to go really their dean regularly invited them to concerts so they could meet other groups and become familiar faces to programming officers at the various venues afterward there was a party in a small narrow cocktail bar across the street Daniel and Jana had charged forward into the crowd, always the determined, well-spoken face of the quartet, neither from that Tony world, but both able to talk to moneyed patrons with a studied fluency. Henry often ran out of things to talk about with these people after they were done marveling at his youth. He noticed, Brit spending an inordinately long time at the bar deciding what to drink, and when she finally had a glass of red wine in her hand, she remained staring at the rows of liquor bottles, her back to the crowd. Henry walked out beside her. Are you as bored? And she jumped in her seat, tipping her glass and sending drops of red wine onto the front of his suit. Oh, Henry, she said, dabbing at his jacket with a bar napkin. I'm sorry, this looks expensive. Was it expensive? It was expensive, but Henry hadn't paid for it. His mother had. A gift, upon learning they had landed the Juilliard residency. It's nothing, Henry said. Britt frowned. Well, it's sort of your fault anyway. Henry sat next to her and ordered a gin and tonic. The compact, buttoned-up bartender peered at him suspiciously, but didn't card him. Britt had been in a mood lately. Really, she'd been in a mood for at least three years. Though neither Britt nor Daniel had ever explicitly spoken of it, Henry and Jana knew there had been something between them early on, a romantic scuffle, a fast fizzle, and a subterranean burn as it faded away. The topic hadn't much come up during Henry and Jana's overnights either. What was there to discuss? It had been years since whatever had once been between Daniel and Britt appeared to settle into a semi-comfortable stasis, a slightly charged status quo, with Daniel's rotation of forgettable girls, unremarkable two- or three-month relationships, and Britt's steady, low-grade longing for him, dignified in the shadows when he was waiting, and girlishly undulating when he turned his attention to her in intermission. though lately something felt like it was shifting with Britt and Daniel, probably not unrelated to Britt's new boyfriend, Paul I was going to say you seem quiet tonight, but not with a mouth like that Henry said why do people always say that to me, you seem quiet what should I say back? yes, that's because I don't want to talk okay, well, Henry said, standing no, no, Britt said Britt put her hand on his arm sit down, I'd rather talk to you than anyone else here oh, wow, thanks I don't mean that, I just mean she gestured across the bar toward where Jana and Daniel held captive a collection of miniature elderly ladies in chunky necklaces. I just mean them. Henry could tell even from this distance that Daniel's suit, the only one he had, fit even worse than the last time he'd worn it. The cuffs now revealed his wrists. Were Daniel's irregularly long arms growing longer? Was that possible? Henry saw the seams were gray from years of pulling. When was Daniel's birthday? Perhaps Henry could get him a custom suit of his own. No, he'd be resentful. Daniel kept taking off his glasses and putting them back on and taking them off. He hated wearing his glasses. He had once told Henry something about how they represented an evolutionary weakness, but he seemed to be squinting more and more these days at things other than just sheet music. Janna, seen from afar, was all strange planes and angles. She was the sort of woman who was not exactly pretty but striking, not slender but skinny, someone who could look alarmingly different with the slight jut of a chin, a nose that could be pointed and regal in profile, and unfortunately knobbed head-on, large eyes that were anime when tired, toothsome with the right smile. She was mutable even down to her dark hair, which could make her look boyish when it was tied back or halting across her shoulders. It was just like Jana, to deny anyone a firm hold on her. Brit, though, Britt always looked the same. Freckles, plump skin, smile lines, pale and blonde, sincere and kind, and Henry realized, sitting there, that he was grateful for her dispositional consistency. This is their natural habitat, Henry said. They can be easily adored. Once he said it, he saw it was mean, but Brit smiled a little. Or they can become people who are easily adored. At these things, I always feel like when I'm talking to someone, I have to apologize for how just boring I am. I play the violin. What more can I say? Look, listen to Janet. You can hear her from here. That pitch is unnatural. Janet threw her head back and laughed, a shrill laugh that Henry knew contained seething beneath the surface. She could communicate with this crowd, but she didn't like it. It's not too bad, Henry said. At least we have them to do it for us. They're not doing it for us, Henry S- Britt said. Whoa, Henry said. Do you have something you want to tell, Henry? What about this new Paul fellow? Britt soft- softened and told him about Paul, how she-, he- she could tell he cleaned his apartment before she came over, how she would found a scribbled list of things from his day he wanted to make sure to tell her on his bedside table, how whenever she asked him a question, he always asked her one back. Sounds like a good one, Henry said when she finished. So why are you so angry right now? not angry she said is it because you're angry at yourself for spending so much time pining for that guy that guy in the bad suit over there brit went silent though she leaned her her head into his shoulder drank her wine at the side of her mouth from behind from Jana's point of view it must have looked like something else at least fleetingly because after the brief moments during which henry felt tenderness for brit's blonde head beneath his but before he could say anything more janna was there behind him her hand and his hair, his hair. You both need haircuts, Jana said, and Britt withdrew. Jana was scratching his scalp with her fingernails sending white shivers down his neck, and the way the response was both automatic and charged irritated him. Now he linked the touch to Kimiko's touch, a different woman, a different context, a different impulse. The point where the wires crossed was buzzing electric, and it stayed lit inside him all night. Later that night, in bed, after Jana scooted toward him, cold under her under the quilt, he said, "'Don't do that again to my hair.' Janna paused, a siren wailed by. "'I was just saying you need a haircut. I mean, seriously, you do. There's a public face we have to maintain.' "'People could get the wrong idea,' he said. "'What, with Brit nuzzling you in a bar? Sure.' They volleyed back and forth a few times, their barbs getting hollower as they got meaner. this kind of meanness was meant for people having sex people who could later expunge the meanness in the half-tender half-violent act of merging aren't you sleeping with anyone he said you know i'm sleeping with kimiko right of course she knew henry knew she knew he also knew janna had no intention of having a sexual relationship with him and that his accusation was low and undermined years of tangled but necessary friendship and that once he'd made it the nights together were over. The dark room momentarily choked on itself. He actually coughed. Jana rolled over her back to him. You're right. I don't think I should spend the night here anymore. And with that, she made it his idea and her decision. She fell fast asleep fast and easy. When Jana made a decision, she did not unmake it. And Henry lay awake most of the night. It was the right thing to do for both of them. So why did it feel bad? There was life right out there, sirens and clanking bottles and the crazy bellowing man in the building across the way. It couldn't be more different from their life in San Francisco, all sky and studiousness and sea splash. Couldn't she also see things were changing, had in fact already changed? The next morning he awoke to Jana fully dressed. She'd smartly brought a change of clothes, black leggings, a black tunic, now cold and almost Slavic at this angle, and tiptoeing around his chilly room. What she looked like wasn't slippery at all, he saw now. Her face was serious, the aquiline nose and whittled jaw, but really it was the face of a girl trying out expressions and postures, its origin withheld from him now. He watched her gathering her things, but also lightly grazing his things with her fingertips his clothes and his dresser and his records stacked on the floor, feeling for what he couldn't say, feeling the varnish on his viola, the tips of the metal music stand in the corner, the molding around the doorway. Henry watched her know with her hands the stuff of his life and then thought to himself, this stuff isn't my life. My life's out there. And he realized that his context had changed, but Jenna's hadn't. Thanks.
0: to be here with all of you celebrating this wonderful writer and this wonderful first book that's all over the internet and is now <laughs> all sorry. of our real
1: life bookstores
0: <laughs> um, and yeah so we're going to chat for a little bit and then you guys will have a chance to ask questions so start thinking you'll be judged on them um, so asia i read this book you know for the first time probably a year ago um, and so when I was rereading reading it, um, now that it's, it's out and available, and I went back and read the first chapter and was immediately sucked in. I was like, no, I'm just going to skim through and remind myself, but instead I just started reading from the beginning. Um, and it opens with this question of whether or not a piece of music is a love story. And so my question for you about this book is, is this a love story? Um,
2: yes, I think it's the love story I always wanted to write. And I don't think... <laughs> the reason I... that's the first line. Um, wait, what's the first line? It's, it's a love story. A statement. <laughs> it's it's a first statement. not a Stand question. Out. but she disagrees. <laughs> yeah, she disagrees. Um, is, and I think they're all kind of wrong in the beginning. They all sort of think, oh, they don't understand what a love story is in the beginning. Um, I think a lot of people think a love story is like a story of, of romantic infatuation or lust, and I think it's about intimacy which is different Mm -hmm. and comes in all kinds of different flavors and um, pairings and and i think when you yeah when you like dedicate your life to with two three other people that are not your spouses um it's there's like a weird kind of intimacy that happens it's physical it's emotional it's um uh intellectual um and like, it's really easy to get fucked up, like. But I, that's what I was interested in. Like, we can all tell the story of like lust, but but it's harder to tell a story about like the way you can lay with someone in bed and it's not sexual. It's but it's really vulnerable, and then that's kind of what I wanted to talk about.
0: And I think it's an intimacy that almost takes them by surprise. Like it accrues slowly over the years, and when they enter into it, it's not necessarily a purposeful, lifelong bond, it's something that kind of is life, like it's their lives unfolding together yeah. as a group. Yeah, I
2: kind of, well the first title for this book was Unlikely Marriages, and then my editor made me change it because she said it sounds like a book about marriage and then I would have to have like a pink cover or something, I don't know. Um, and. But I I still think that that's like accidental marriage is still like the kind of the essence of it. Like it does become what their life is. Like these relationships become their life, but it does take years the way that a marriage does. I imagine, I've never been married, but. Soon though, (laughs) (laughs) I was recently engaged. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um,
0: Yeah, so. I that's the most accurate metaphor. Interesting. And so Asia is a classically trained cellist. Um, and so to me, reading this as well, your experience as a musician creates this opportunity for sort of new insight and new kind of stories that people might not necessarily be um, familiar with. Like uh, when you were introducing the section you read, you talked about the physicality of playing together. And I think that's not necessarily the first thing people think of when they think of classical music. Um, So for you, what were some of the challenges about writing about music and musicians? Well, I
2: think it's not you think it's it's not it wasn't really a challenge because there is a misconception about what classical music is among people who don't know it and like it's really fun to just debunk that that's like a very easy It's much I think much harder to write about like a marriage that like everybody knows about like this is a kind of union that people think they have ideas about that's, like, fun to, to delve into, like, oh, no, there's a physical aspect to it, and there is a romantic part of it, and then what happens when those people get relationships outside of those relationships? And what happens when you, like, are 22 when you start and then you're 50? Like, how do you, how do you still have the same relationship with someone? So, that was, like, an easy thing to do. I think that, you know, I don't know, do you, do you agree with, like, because you wrote about a specific world with ballet, like, do you, was it
0: hard for you? Well, see, this was another one of my questions. Thanks for jumping <laughs> in. Um, which is that for me, I like to write about subcultures, but always as an outsider. And for you, I think sometimes when you're Uh-oh. writing about subculture as an insider, the sort of sense of responsibility can be different.
2: Yeah. It's more like, because I didn't become a professional musician, I always have this like bank of knowledge that the people that I was spending time with were not musicians at a certain point like at 20 I was no longer like only hanging out with musicians and so to, to 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 explain what that was and then also to discover how different and separate it was and how much it was not what people think it is was a story that I had to tell myself for many years before I could write it. So I think it was like a process of me discovering that it was special before I even started to write about it. Um, because for a long time I didn't think it was special it was just like this thing that I did like you you ran track and I played music and like I just didn't think it was something people would be interested in and not until someone was like what are you going to what 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 can you write 300 pages about and I was like um
0: watch reality TV uh, music. So. I would read your novel about reality TV as well. Yeah. Just for, okay. <laughs> um well so then you moved from being a serious artist of one sort and being a serious artist of another. And do you think your sort of background and your practice as a musician informed your life as a writer?
2: Um They're very different. Like Everyone, you know, writing is super solitary and lonely and chamber music is really collaborative. And um, when I sit down to practice, I know exactly what I'm playing. There's like, it's already written for me. Like I know exactly the exercise that you're supposed to do and how to get there. And when I sit down to write, I have no idea what's going to happen, even especially if you try to plan it out, like it doesn't ever happen that way. Um, So, Chris Tillman, when I was in my MFA, said it's good for writers to have a second art um, so that they can understand this. This is the it's only
0: thing. Yeah. enough, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: um,
2: yeah, I can't, I can't have my job. I have to make room for my second art. Um, just so that it's like good to know that like, not all art is the same and that's totally fine and good. Yeah, I, I struggle to like connect the two, but mm-hmm. anything that I would say is like sounds really facile. I think like mm-hmm. they're different, and that's cool and
1: mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, why don't you tell us kind of the origin story of this book? Like, at what point did the idea emerge? How did it germinate? How has it changed? Yeah.
2: Well, there's one story I tell
0: when it's like
2: written down, and this is not written down, so I going to tell that one. This one's like. <laughs> Because so I was I, I studied with the Saint Lawrence String Quartet at Stanford for like three summers when I was young. I mean I was like 15. I wasn't that young, but um, they're really they're a professional quartet. They're amazing. They're Canadian. I stole a lot of stuff from them for this book. I hope They're not mad. I told them about <laughs> it, and no one ever replied to me. So,
1: um,
2: but they will co- so you spend like 12 days there, and they like coach you intensely. It's like so exhausting. But in one of the coaching sessions. Like, you get coached in the morning by one person, and then you have a break, and then in the afternoon, you're coached by a different person, and they were clearly arguing with each other. Like, <laughs> she in the afternoon was like, Don't, don't do what Barry said. Like, he's, he's that's one of these. We hate Barry. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, If you hate Barry, like, you have to work with him forever. Like, um, he's no longer in the quartet, but um, <laughs> he, I just, that opened up, that revelation because I think I, I thought that they were so above like interpersonal drama and I just didn't realize that they could have petty fights and then take it out on like me <laughs> um, who was like 15 and didn't know what's happening um, and that was I was like oh they that's like complicated for them like they have to do this thing and this other thing and um, and uh, and then later, like years later, someone else was at some other conference with them. And there was there's I can't tell that story, but there's like there's like <laughs> scandal scandal, there's a hot tub involved. If you read the book, the hot tub scene that I put in there is like inspired by. Um, so I don't know, just like salaciousness in a world
0: that's super elite is like really exciting to me.
1: <laughs> like yeah.
0: Um, but wait, so when <laughs> it was like, you're in grad school and you wrote a story and it sort of evolved into oh. this, or...? Um, when I was in MFA, an
2: agent, oh, your agent, oh. Rebecca, came to t- town, and they were, and they were, like, propose you have to propose novels to her, and I was like, I'm 24, like, I don't know how to write a novel, mm-hmm. and we had to. Like, so I wrote a novel proposal and I remember sitting in that meeting with her and she was like what? this is like an idea and I was like yeah, it's like what I have. Like like I wrote a whole thing that was stupid and read like a romance novel, like an airport novel or something. That was like really mean of me to say. Not an airport novel, but like a like a whatever, like a a, a novel I didn't want to write. And um. And, and I, I never let that go. I couldn't write it though. Like I couldn't figure out how to do it. And then, I proposed it again in, at Houston in my in my PhD because we again they made us propose novels. Like and I, I was like, why are people making me do this? This is awful. Like I don't want to write one. Um, and I wrote <laughs> the first ten pages of this novel that I then eventually cut. But like those ten pages stayed, the first ten pages for like years. Um, Really? I don't know. And then it, it just took a really long time for me to figure out the structure and even what I was saying. It just took a long time. But it was, I guess it was good that people like, forced me
0: to do it. I feel like, yeah, sometimes that is helpful just to have it sort of in the back of your mind for a while. Kind yeah. Of doing its own thing in the darkness. Yeah. Until the right time arrives. Yeah, I'm glad that, like, nothing I wrote back then saw the light of day. was (laughs) Was there a moment when it kind of fell into place? Or was it a long, gradual chipping away?
2: No, it fell into place, like, I wrote the first 100 pages, like, four times. Um, because I, at one point it was, like, all one weekend, which is insane. Like, I was like, it's one performance over one weekend. And it's like, <laughs> moment by moment.
0: And then I tried to do that and
2: I was like, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> Ian and Saturday is one of my favorite, not favorite, but I love that book. And it, it does take place on a day. And I like, and Mrs. Dalloway, like I like novels that do that, but I can't do it. And then I was like, okay, it takes place over like one year. And then it's in Sonata form. And so there'll be like an introduction and development and a in a, in a storm and drang like part of it. And it just like was crazy and then I just, Finally just let go of the formal structure and decided to just like Rotate through the voices in a way that felt
0: natural, which is probably like What should have happened in the first place? Yeah, I love that about the book because we started in Jana's point of view. She's the first violinist It's logical. That's where we start but really quickly we start this movement and it sort of becomes something that's more um, collective so I mean I What was it like kind of? Bringing together the mechanics—you're sort of speaking this already—of a novel versus the mechanics of the chamber music. Yeah. Um, the benefit of music and chamber music is that you get to hear
2: everything at once. Like mm-hmm. you just hear everything at once. And I, that was hard for me because you can only write one person, mm-hmm. at, unless you're like crazy, and then you can write you can do this weird omniscient thing but i didn't want to do an. i didn't want to do a thing like that so um, it's hard to like have the sound of many voices but only hear one person and so i think it takes until like a page page 100 where you where you can start to like know all of them and then you start to hear it bigger and that's just something i had to like deal with and be okay with mm-hmm. but that means the beginning is like the, I guess it is kind of the development part of the piece but yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. and how did you think about sort of connecting there because that's another interesting thing in the first chapter when Janice sort of having a flirtation with a famous violinist and he says um, you could be much better and she sort of is ruffled and he's like no you will be much better as you get older and so there's this you know accumulation of skill that continues through their lives and then starts to be pushed against by kind of physical wear and tear of, of playing this much. So, yeah, I mean, how did you think about um, portraying their maturation as just humans together and also as musicians?
2: Well, I think this book is not really about, I mean, it's not about music, it's about people. Sure. And they just happen to be musicians. And so they mature in the way that, like, everybody else does, and they have, like, problems the way everybody else does. They just happen to have to do this, like, thing while they're doing it and so I tried to show that difference in the music that like growth in the music through what they're playing like so there's a program at the beginning of every section with music that they play and the piece that they focus on in that section represents something hopefully that represents it for me like in the beginning they're playing the Dvorak American which really straddles the line between student and professional, and so that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to, like, make it professionally, and um, and uh, they really struggle with that. And then in the second section, like, there's a lot of tension and anger between all of them, and they play the Shostakovich, which is like, so, like, no one does anger and tension better than him. and um, And so hopefully that communicates this, like, maturation process
0: that they go through. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, they do grow up like normal people, but like normal people who are in a very small cult at the same
1: time. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And so much of their time is spent together and things that we sort of maybe act out with people we encounter come by, they're all sort of going through with this like small pot of, of people and then like more people get drawn in here and there, but this really becomes like their core relationship
2: Yeah, that's like
0: So scary
2: like to think about having to be the wife or husband of a person in a, in a group like this like You're jealous at all like you can't do it because mm-hmm. it's so much time and they know that person so well forever um, and in a
0: way that's inaccessible to you. Yeah. Like you're
2: not part of it. Yeah. 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 Like you and I know each other because we could like talk about books and stuff, but like we're not like writing books together for our entire lives. Like that would be intense.
0: And or we don't sit together to write and just signal with like an inaudible breath. <laughs> that, like, now we begin. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> maybe.
0: No, that's not terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well I might open it up to the floor if anyone has questions. I have a few more if you don't, but I want to make sure everyone has a chance. Um, the two, every artist should have two, two artists. Mm-hmm. Can you
1: riff more on, like,
0: the relationship between
2: those two artists? Are they, like, jealous of each other or do they, how, how, did, how those two arts? Well, like, he didn't expand further on that, but I took it to mean, like, so you have a place to put the tension and frustration you feel in one art into something else because sometimes you're writing and it's not going anywhere and that maybe that happens for like years and it's good to have something else creative that you can do that where you can put that instead of like cycling it back into like your word doc which I've done before. Um, I, I found myself like wanting to play the piano again at, at, when I was writing just because like it's easier to do <laughs> like it, I mean not good I'm not good at piano, but it's like easy to like the notes are already there. you just have to like do it over and over again. and it's different with writing. I'm sure a professional pianist feels differently about that, but th- that's what I took that to mean. Like it's good to not just depend on one outlet ever know which one your best are. Well, I only did two, <laughs> like, I just know I'm, I don't, I mean, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I, I had to stop playing, I mean, I had to stop playing competing because I wasn't good enough and that's because you don't, you stop like winning things, like that's very clear. <laughs> I think Maggie and I have had this conversation too, like, how do you know to give up, like, how do you know you're not good at writing, like, I don't know, because at some point you have to take the external forces that are saying, like, someone else is better, (laughs) like, we're going to give them the money. Um, For a long time you have to ignore that, and then at some point you have to be like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to do this, like, no matter how much I love it, and um, that's why it's good to have (laughs) two.
0: going to be a really short question
2: and probably a short answer, but I just noticed... Yanny.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first meme of the evening had <laughs> it.
2: <was a> <laughs> Musically, the sentence work in this book is so impressive and I'm just sort of wondering if there is a relationship for you between your musical practice or your musical interests and like, yeah. in the draft of writing and sentence that's not a short answer. It is for me. What if I was just like yes? <laughs> um, uh, I don't think consciously, but in like an, uh, the PhD defense, um, one of the one of my committee members, who was outside of the department, who was not in the English department, was like there's a lot of long sentences like and why like why and i I didn't consciously it was a good question it was a good question because it made me think about it but the the answer I think that I gave was like because when those long sentences happen when they're like emotionally at a climax, and uh, I felt like because they felt like breathless and and had lost rhythm that the that the language needed to too and um. And I think that's as as far as it goes. Like That's how I think about the sentences, musically.
0: You touched a little bit on the little playlists that you have at the beginning of every um, chapter. And so I was wondering what your ideal version is of people who are reading this book who are not familiar with classical music,
2: how do they interact with those playlists? Like, did you imagine people listening to those while they're reading or making themselves familiar
1: after or how oh. would you suggest somebody who's not familiar with to experience the music at the same time as the novel? That sounds like I'm giving them homework. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and
2: they don't I, I hope the book works without them listening to it ever. I hope that they do listen to it because I love those pieces and I think that um, it's Enriches the experience, but I the way that I wrote them playing those pieces Like it wouldn't really like you're even if you unless you were like Dvorak You're not gonna know really like the moment that I'm talking about unless you go back and you like trace it back and listen to it Like it doesn't hopefully it doesn't matter, but hope hopefully that's also an extra layer like that
0: can work But yeah Um, We've talked about the two arts, so when was the moment when you were like, I'm going to start writing fiction, now is the time for my second art? Um, Well, I always wrote fiction. Did you as a child? My mom just found all
2: these boxes in the garage of like, like when I was think I was like 13 and we had you know those computers that were like black and had like MS DOS and like the green like I wrote an entire novel about a violinist when I was like very little and I like Mom. printed it out on those papers like, I get to tear the <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's in those boxes but she said she got a bunch of stuff but yeah I just but I just thought it was like fantasy life like I thought it was like play life uh-huh. and then I didn't realize you could do it for a profession till I was in college and someone was like have you heard of MFAs? And I was like, What's an MFA? So <laughs> I just didn't realize you could do it. I always knew you could do music. I just didn't know writers. So I like didn't know that was a thing. Um, but yeah, it was probably when Alex Chi was said to me like, You should think about MFAs. That I was like, Oh, it's a thing. Okay, like I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Since I'm really like running out of steam on this like professional chillist <laughs> track.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. What I loved, I'm a big fan of your book,
0: um, but what I loved was the two male you know, characters in the story and how you explored uh, inborn talent and in one who has to strive to succeed. And I'd love to know a little bit more about what inspired you to discuss that conflict within your book.
2: Um, because I think I was that one character you're talking about who's like, loves it and isn't, his love outweighs his natural abilities. Um, and I think that's a, kind of a tragedy. I don't think it means you can't do it. I just think it means you always have to try harder than everyone else. And I saw that future, like there was a moment when I was I could have applied to conservatory when I was 17, and I didn't, because I knew it would just be like decades of like, failure. <laughs> like, or not failure, just like, um, yeah, just always the risk of failure, and in a way where I wasn't sure that I could. Ever succeed the way I imagined was possible and um, I think some people do choose that life though and that's like I I, I was interested in how that like works and what kind of person you have to be like you have to really 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 love it and be willing to suffer forever Mm -hmm. and I'm just like not
0: (laughs) (laughs) this has worked out (laughs) yeah I think it's okay Else, um, you're signing copies for people, I assume. Yeah. And right? there's cake. There's cake. It's a red velvet it has a book on it, <laughs> so you'll know that's the right cake. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's <laughs> champagne. And yeah. Yeah. Thanks. For Thanks everybody. Yeah.